Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When Norma Rodriguez is found murdered in her Port Wainimi home... She had no enemies or anything. Why her? Investigators aren't sure what to make of the tragedy. If you had taken the body out of the room, there was nothing left in that room to indicate that, that a crime had occurred there. Within three months, two more women fall victim to homicide. Anytime you hear about a string of murders in one of the safest parts of the country, it's definitely a bit of a shock. There was concern that there might be a serial killer lurking in Port Wainimi. But in the 10 years it will take to solve it, nothing about this case is as it seems. I'd never seen anything like it before and haven't seen anything like it since. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Wainimi, California, is a hidden gem, a little secret the locals like to keep to themselves. Once folks stumble upon this small town, they just never want to leave. It is, uh, has a mild climate, nice beaches, and it's just a nice place to live. It's not your classic beach resort kind of a town. It's more of a hard-working community that's just fortunate to, to be on the ocean. a blue-collar community with a view of the Pacific, about halfway between L.A. and Santa Barbara. 
Roughly 20,000 hard-working folks call this little beach community home, including 32-year-old Norma Rodriguez, who does whatever she can to provide for her family. Norma was an assistant manager at Kmart. She worked extra hours to save money. She managed her money real good. She got her own little place and everything. As a little girl in Texas, Norma dreamed of having a family, but never pictured a home without a husband. Norma got married too young, around 17 or 18. At the beginning, she was really happy and everything, but they were struggling, both of them. By February of 1991, Norma leaves her husband of nine years and moves to Port Wyneme with her sons. I think well, she wanted to have her own place and he didn't want to move out. So what she did, she just went her way with the boys. Norma loved her little picket fence. She enjoyed her little house. Norma's duplex isn't much, but it's a good home for her and the boys, four-year-old Austin and 11-year-old Andrew. And it's just a short drive from one of her six sisters, Ophelia Betancourt, who lives in Oxnard, the next town over, near Norma's soon-to-be ex-husband. Norma was a great mom. Her priority were her boys. Norma does whatever she can to keep up appearances. She doesn't let her new neighbors anywhere near her dirty laundry. But soon everyone in town will know about her troubled marriage, and then some. Like Norma Rodriguez, Detective Tony Paradis is new to the neighborhood. Just up from the LAPD, Tuesday, June 1st, 1993, is his first day on the job as homicide detective for the Port Wyneme Police Department. And this particular Tuesday is shaping up to be a doozy. One of the other detectives comes by and, and says, looks like we've got a homicide over on B Street. Keeps walking by me, goes out the door. And my initial thought was, yeah, right, okay, let's screw with the new guy. But it's no joke. The 911 caller, Anthony Rodriguez, insists that something has happened to his ex-wife, Norma. For the first time in a year, it looks like the Port Wyneme Police Department has an honest-to-God murder on its hands. I had never worked a homicide case before, and I was thinking, don't screw this up. Paradis better hope for some beginner's luck. This isn't exactly your typical murder case. A homicide victim, you're thinking shot, stabbed. What I saw was nothing that I had ever imagined. It's like a scene out of a bad TV movie. You see cases where the victim has a piece of duct tape over the mouth, maybe to keep him from talking piece of duct tape over the eyes to keep them from seeing what's going on. But this was different. I mean, her head was entirely encased with duct tape. It's an unusual crime, that's for sure. Even the victim's clothing raises questions. It's anyone's guess why Norma's shorts are partially undone. There may or may not have been a sexual assault. The suspect might have undressed her, redressed her. Don't know. 
Paradis isn't quite sure what went down just yet. But one thing is certain, someone wanted Norma good and dead. It's a good thing Paradis doesn't have to put the pieces of this puzzle together by himself. That's what his partner and lead detective, Dennis Fitzgerald, is for. If the Pitbull can't figure this out, nobody can. When I get a hold of something, I, I just won't let go. I hate to see somebody get away with murder. But pinning the crime on a killer will not be easy. If you had taken the body out of the room, there was nothing left in that room to indicate that, that a crime had occurred there. No obvious clues, only a set of house keys near the body. Could be nothing at all, or maybe something the killer left behind. We never found any evidence of forced entry. The keys became very important. No forced entry, not a drop of blood. Nothing else is out of place, except that Norma Rodriguez is flat on her back. And according to Norma's estranged husband, Anthony Rodriguez, that's exactly where he and his brother found her that morning. It was his routine to come and pick the boys up early in the morning and take them to school. But nobody would answer the door. And once they opened the front door, immediately they saw her. The husband went to check on the boys immediately, and they got them out a side door so they wouldn't see them off. He claims that little Austin was at home with Norma that weekend, while Andrew was with him until late last night. A family friend had brought Andrew home on the Monday night, and when he got to the, to the house, Andrew couldn't get in because the door was locked and no one was answering. So Andrew went in through a bedroom window. Andrew says he went to sleep in the bed next to his younger brother, not realizing his mom was dead in the very next room. And that Austin may have seen her killer. Austin had been with his mother at least 24 hours after she'd been killed. He went in and out of that room where her body lay God knows how many times. He just thought that, that mommy was asleep. And it just rips at your heart. When we realized that Austin could be the only eyewitness to this, uh, we really tried everything we could to extract a story out of him that, unfortunately, he, he's a four-year-old. If Austin can somehow find the words to tattle, this might be an open and shut case. But for now, the police can only guess who done it. And right now, all bets are on the husband. He certainly was big enough and strong enough to do what was done to her. For motive, maybe child support or wanted her out of the way so he could have the kids permanently. News of Norma's death quickly makes its way to the next town over. I was here at my house, but that day that Norma had to work, I was expecting Norma to stop by or to bring the boys, and they never show up. My husband came and told me that my sister was murdered. I didn't want to believe that all this was happening. To tell you the truth, I didn't trust my brother-in-law. I didn't trust him at all. And neither do police. His story about coming to the house and finding the body the way he did, it, it seemed a little strange. To be honest with you, um, most people, their exes aren't just popping in and out at will. 
Residents in Port Wyneme, California, want to know why anyone would want to strangle prim and proper wouldn't hurt a fly, Norma Rodriguez. Murders just don't happen in Port Wyneme. It's just not the kind of town where these things happen. While her murder has outsiders stumped, Norma's sister Ophelia is convinced she knows who did it. At first we thought it was her husband. We keep on thinking and thinking and thinking it was him. They had had a not so good a relationship. Uh, they, they had problems, uh, I think custody problems and also uh, problems with child payments. And Detective Fitzgerald becomes even more suspicious of Norma's estranged husband after he learns how Norma was killed. According to the coroner, Norma wasn't sexually assaulted, but she died in the most awful way. Manual strangulation is probably about the most personal form of homicide there is. You, you're not using a knife, a gun, any other weapon. You're placing your hands upon the victim and you're killing them with your own bare hands. It's believed that Norma was killed sometime Sunday night or early Monday morning. She was probably was sleeping on the couch. She was what we call blitzed. She was immediately attacked. The coroner is convinced that Norma was dead before her attacker wrapped 20 feet of duct tape around her head, leaving police to believe the killer was possibly trying to distance himself from the victim. This had to be somebody who was close to the victim. This isn't something that some stranger off the street is going to do. Because what they're doing is they're trying to take an incredibly personal act, you know, murder, and turn it into an impersonal act, where, where they don't have to see the victim's face. At first glance, police don't find any physical evidence on the duct tape. And Norma's fingernail clippings look clean, too and they're safely stored away. Now, it's time for investigators to put their theory to the test. Is Norma's estranged spouse the kind of guy that would kill the mother of his own children? He was supportive of the, of the boys, but uh, I've seen in other cases where it doesn't make any difference when they, when they kill their spouse. Norma's soon-to-be ex claims he was at his parents' house in Oxnard with his older son Andrew when she was killed. His whereabouts were accounted for all weekend, and this could all be verified right down the line. Mr. Rodriguez is cleared as a suspect. I could see that his grief was genuine. Either that or he was, you know, an Academy Award-caliber actor. If he didn't kill Norma, who did? The answer just might have something to do with those keys found near Norma's body after all. According to Norma's close girlfriend, she had lost her house keys just a few days before she turned up dead. Whoever had those keys was probably the killer. Investigators immediately turned their attention to Norma's large circle of friends and co-workers. But before investigators find anyone who stands out in the crowd, Norma's young son Austin, the only possible witness to her murder, finally starts talking. It was amazing to me that he was even able to talk to us because of what he had gone through. He was very confused about what had happened. He told us that a black man had come to the door and attacked his mother, and he also told us that a white man had attacked his mother. Investigators aren't sure what to believe until Austin starts naming names. 
Austin gave us a number of names, and that included the name Warren. But is Warren the killer or a figment of his imagination? So we went to Kmart and we got a list of employees. We tried to find everyone who worked there with her, not just currently, but from the time that she first went to work there all the way up till the time she was killed. It turns out that Norma used to work with a guy named Warren Mackey. Warren told us that uh, basically he had a platonic relationship with Norma, that they were very close friends, nothing else. In fact, he was such a close friend and a regular at her house, often the last one to leave her parties. Like the barbecue she had just three days before her body was discovered. But Warren tells investigators that Norma was alive and well when he left her house that Saturday night. He said when he left, Norma was lying on the couch watching television, which was her routine, so he knew that. Warren insists he wasn't anywhere near Norma's house that Sunday night. He had been out at a club with a couple of roommates and that he had been drinking heavily and that he didn't return home until about 2 o'clock, which would have been after the homicide occurred. Warren seems to have an answer for everything police throw at him. So police put his story to the test, a polygraph test. I was pretty shocked when Warren Mackey passed his polygraph. Now, investigators must dig even deeper to find Norma's killer. Everything pointed to a friend of hers. So now we got to figure out, well, who's the friend we don't know about? Who's the friend that her inner circle didn't know about? But all of Norma's friends bend over backwards to help with the investigation. Not a soul stands out. It looks like this case isn't going to be solved anytime soon. Whenever Detective Tony Paradis needs to clear his head, he hits the links. In detective work, there's frustration and elation, and not in equal doses. The elation comes when you finally, you know, make the case. The frustration comes all along the path to getting there. In golf, it's the same way. But work comes first, and nothing frustrates Paradis more than knowing that there's a cold-blooded killer still on the loose. The Norma Rodriguez homicides kind of set off a chain of events that we didn't see it coming. Just 26 days after Norma's murder, another woman turns up dead, just a few blocks away. It's a gruesome find. Senior citizen Beatrice Bellis has been raped and stabbed in her very own bed. 87 years old, she was deaf mute, she walked with a walker, and she was a zero threat to anybody. Before detectives can even wrap their head around the Bellis homicide, the unthinkable happens again just two weeks later, when 44-year-old Cynthia Berger is murdered. Cynthia Berger was raped, strangled, placed in the bathtub of her residence, and then her residence was set on fire. Three women dead in three months. It's a crime spree the likes of which Port Wainimi has never seen. By the time the third homicide had occurred, the mood in town had turned decidedly dark. People were scared. People were worried, women in particular. Petrified residents begin to wonder if a serial killer has set up shop in their tiny town. 
If a serial killer is on the loose, police need to find him, and fast. But trying to solve one murder with a police staff just 20 deep is difficult. Cracking three cases? Next to impossible. A year goes by without a solid lead in any of the cases. Once you get a year into a case, your prime leads, your best leads, your best suspects have all pretty much been exhausted. You know, from that point on, you're chasing down some, some mighty thin threads. In November 1995, two years after the murder spree, police are handed a gift, a new name for their suspect list, and a very promising one at that, a serial killer suspected of murdering women in California. He looked like, uh, obviously, somebody that could be uh, responsible for at least one of these, these homicides. Do Port Wainimi police finally have their man? Two years after a killing spree turned Port Wainimi, California upside down, life here is still off kilter. It's hard to get back into the swing of things when someone's been picking off women in town left and right. It was a very big story here in Ventura County at the time. The coverage grew with each murder and the speculation that perhaps they were connected. A lot of people in Port Wainimi were afraid that there was a serial killer on the loose. I'm sure there was fears of who might be the next victim. Alex Wilson's listeners at KVTA Radio are starting to lose their patience. And who can blame them? The Norma Rodriguez, Beatrice Bellis, and Cynthia Berger cases are still unsolved. Some people might, you know, watch a police drama on TV and think that a homicide can be solved in, in, in 48 minutes, but in real life, it takes a lot of luck sometimes, and it takes a lot of work, and sometimes it just never pans out, and they never know who did it. So when local investigators begin looking at a fugitive suspected of killing women across the country, it gets everybody's attention, including Dennis Fitzgerald, who is now an investigator at the DA's office. Glenn Rogers looked like, uh, obviously, somebody that could be uh, responsible for at least one of these homicides. Fitzgerald's new colleague, Ventura County Senior Deputy District Attorney Richard Simon, agrees. He had a criminal history. He, he'd been a drifter. Rogers is the prime suspect in a killing just 60 miles away in L.A. And it's a homicide that's similar to the Cynthia Berger case. Like Cynthia, the victim was raped, strangled to death, and then set on fire. So that piqued our interest in him. Those type of homicides, at least in my experiences, are very rare here in this county. If Rogers is connected to the Burger case, there's a chance he might also be involved in the murders of Beatrice Bellis and Norma Rodriguez. When Rogers is finally captured, he's tied to the L.A. murder and three other killings around the country. But Port Wainimi detectives just can't catch a break. We subsequently eliminated Glenn Rogers because it, we could never put him in Ventura County. It was geographically impossible for him to have committed any of these murders. With no leads left, the cases come to a standstill. For nearly seven years, 
All three cases are as cold as the Pacific Ocean in winter. There's always a frustration when a case goes cold because that means that somebody's out there and they might do it again. When prosecutor Richard Simon isn't putting bad guys behind bars, he's fine-tuning his skills at the tennis table. It's a thinking man's game. You don't necessarily have to be the strongest or the fastest, but there's a lot of strategy. Spins and chops and slices that people can use. But Simon also knows that every now and then you get a lucky bounce. In 2000, the DA's office decides to reopen the Port Wyneme cold cases. The crime lab was capable of doing a lot more things with DNA than it was in the summer of 1993. I thought maybe with, with new technology and new information, we might be able to um, get something done with it. Before investigators can put their new technology to the test, an anonymous tip falls in their lap. It leads them straight to a suspect in the Cynthia Berger case, an inmate named Michael Schultz. Police can finally put this one to bed when Schultz's DNA matches the semen found in Cynthia's body. The day we got the DNA match on the Schultz case was extremely exciting. Now we had a killer. But is he a serial killer? Schultz is not a DNA match in the Beatrice Bellis rape homicide. And since Norma Rodriguez was not sexually assaulted, Schultz is not considered a suspect in that case. I was so incredibly happy when the Cynthia Berger murder was solved because it finally put to rest all the serial killer crap that we had had to listen to. By 2002, the investigation into the deaths of Beatrice Bellis and Norma Rodriguez is back in full swing. In this case, fortunately, nothing was ordered destroyed. Everything was preserved. Turns out fingernail clippings saved at autopsy are still in good condition. Investigators have no idea what the DNA lab will find, if anything. It's a nerve-wracking wait, but well worth it. Whoever killed Norma left a little DNA behind. It's perfect. She may have gotten his sweat underneath her fingernails or something, which gave us what we needed to find who he was. At that point, my thought was, okay, this is gonna be solved. It's just a question of when, but it's gonna be solved. No, no two ways about it. But when the profile is entered into the national DNA database, it comes up empty. Will detectives ever come up with the killer's name? First thing we did is we, we looked at, again at her most inner circle of friends and made a list of the people we wanted to collect DNA from. But not everyone is willing to help. Surprisingly, a man named Ed Garza refuses to give up his DNA. It's a move that baffles investigators, since Ed is married to one of Norma's good friends. When he refused to give us his DNA, I asked him why he would do such a thing. He uh, is very close to the family. What problem would he have to supply DNA? Usually, if you want to get yourself bumped up the suspect list, that's probably the best way to do it. Get more Nightmare Next Door online at investigation.discovery.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Nine years later, the summer of 1993 is still the talk of Port Wyneme, California. One murder case is closed, but the Norma Rodriguez and Beatrice Bellis cases are still wide open. And despite all her heartache, Norma's sister Ophelia still believes investigators will find her sister's killer. I waited so long, I can wait more. That's what we all said. But we are desperate. Desperate to find out something. In a town where murder suspects seem to come and go like the tide, wrapping up the investigation is easier said than done. The name currently at the top of the list in the Norma Rodriguez case, Ed Garza. He became a very strong suspect for us, but we keep that uh, close to our vest. Uh, Don't tell anybody. No media... No family, just amongst the investigators. Ed, a friend of Norma's, doesn't look like killer material, but sure is acting like it. He just wasn't going to give a sample under any set of circumstances. He told us that he wasn't involved, that he's moved on. One of the things that really piqued my interest was when he said, The killer has not killed again. The killer hasn't killed again. So, uh, what's the use? Garza is acting as suspicious as a shady politician. But why? And I asked him that question. How would you know the killer hadn't killed again? And he couldn't explain that. And he seemed very nervous. And boy, that, that statement alone was really troubling for me. 
It sure seems like Garza's hiding something. But the only way to know if he's Norma's killer is for investigators to get his DNA when he least expects it. We followed the guy in a restaurant. He got up and left. We grabbed a glass that he was drinking out of. And got his DNA out of that. Garza may be a shady guy, but he's not a killer. He doesn't fit the DNA profile found under Norma's fingernail clippings. Another setback for the investigation. Another disappointment for the family. Detective Fischero told us that he was not going to retire until he found the murder of my sister. We stood by what detectives told us just to hang there. Somehow, some they were going to get him. And Detective Fitzgerald starts by scouring the names of the remaining suspects. Fitzgerald has good instincts and never forgets anyone who rubs him the wrong way. And one suspect he never cared for is still on the list. I went to see Warren Mackey, and uh, he assured me that he would do anything to cooperate with the investigation. Warren Mackey, Norma's close friend and former co-worker, the man Norma's young son says he saw in the house the night his mom was murdered. The man who denied it and promptly passed a polygraph test. Warren Mackey was high on the list before the polygraph, yes. After the polygraph, he never left the list, but they certainly moved down the list. He seemed like somebody who would be trustworthy. Um, he didn't immediately jump out as, you know, this guy's a likely killer. But nearly 10 years after the murder, investigators learn a thing or two about Warren that makes them think he may have been their guy all along. What piqued our interest in Warren was that he was the only one of her friends that did not show up at the funeral. Everybody else was at the funeral. Warren, supposedly a good friend of hers, and had seen her that weekend at the party, didn't go to the funeral. And that's not the only reason investigators are concerned. Warren's now a married man, but back then he was single. And apparently he wanted a lot more from Norma than she was willing to give. It was a friend had told us that Norma complained to her that Mackie had come on to her and she didn't like it and told him she just wanted strictly a platonic relationship. Rejection sure sounds like a motive. But Warren swears there was nothing sexual going on. He insists he isn't the killer and readily gives a DNA sample. You want me to pee into a cup? You want me to cut myself? You want me to spit into a, into a bottle? Whatever you want. You know, he was very cooperative. So yeah, have at it. Have, have a sample of my DNA. A sample that breaks the case wide open. On May 31st, 2003, 10 years to the day of Norma's death, investigators' suspicions are confirmed. Warren is a DNA match. And I remember jumping up and down and yelling in celebration in my office when I got that information. In hindsight, all the pieces of the puzzle just fell into place, came together immediately, for me anyway. It did not surprise me at all that it was Warren Mackey. Not so fast. The case is far from over. In many ways, it's really just begun. 
the test doesn't exactly prove Mackie killed Norma. After all, he was in close contact with her at the barbecue just days before the murder. Even though he said he had a strictly platonic relationship with her, he could have eventually come up with a story like, oh, you know, she ran her fingers through my hair, or she rubbed my back, or massaged my face, or something along those lines to mitigate that piece of evidence. Good thing the duct tape the killer wrapped around Norma's head also survived nearly a decade in storage. There's a chance the killer's DNA just might be on the tape. Duct tape comes in a roll. You have to unroll it to wrap it around or anything you're doing. So the crime lab tested one of the ends of that duct tape to see if they could get DNA off of it. And they did. The DNA is an exact match for none other than Warren Mackey. That match on the duct tape was another piece of the puzzle that we needed. And that was a huge step forward in sealing his fate. Finally, evidence that seems to place him at the scene of the crime. But police know it's still something that could possibly be explained away. You could say, okay, maybe he worked on something, ripped off a roll of duct tape, and left it there. Um, and then some killer found this ripped roll of duct tape and decided, uh-huh, I'll just wrap it around her face. But luckily, Warren doesn't think of that. During an interview at the police station, he's simply no match for the detectives. You ever seen duct tape at her house? You ever seen duct tape at her house? Before he knew we had any duct tape evidence, he was denying ever working on anything with duct tape at her house. He was denying ever seeing any duct tape at her house. He was denying ever ripping any duct tape. That really hurt him. He might as well have told us he did it, because it didn't help him at all. When Warren is confronted with the evidence, he has little to say. It's had to weigh pretty heavy on you all this year. On what? What's weighing heavy on he said, I can't explain this. And he said, this is getting very serious now. You're, you're accusing me of murdering Norma. And you think I murdered Norma? And I said, I told him, absolutely. It's irrefutable evidence that you were the killer. And he became extremely nervous and asked for an attorney. Didn't want to talk anymore. I don't know what you're talking This is ridiculous. I can't believe that we got you after 10 years. No. On August 27, 2003, Mackie is arrested and charged with murder. Norma couldn't tell us who killed her. She was silenced, but she was able to tell us through the grave, through the evidence that she left, that who her killer was. When the news makes its way to Norma's sister, she's overjoyed. Ophelia's always thought that little Austin really did see his mom's killer. All this time, Austin was right. When the detectives talked to him, he was 100% right. Austin told me that day, he goes, no fair, nobody believes me. I'm saying the truth. But will the jury believe it's Warren? Or will they question the case against him? The prosecution needs to come up with evidence that won't let Warren off the hook. Perhaps the duct tape holds one last secret.
in Port Wyneme, California, all eyes are on Warren Mackey. Even though he's in a whole heap of trouble, he pleads not guilty to murder. To the very end, Warren Mackey denied any involvement in Norma's murder. It's not surprising, even in a case with overwhelming evidence, for um, people to plead not guilty. People generally are in denial initially uh, about um, the fact that they're going to prison and likely for the rest of their life. Prosecutor Richard Simon probably has enough for a conviction, but he never leaves anything to chance. So he orders a second test on the duct tape, the part that was 20 feet into the roll, the section only the killer could have touched. Getting that duct tape off of the roll, they could have ripped it with their hands or with their teeth. There would be a decent chance of getting skin cell transfer um, or saliva. Sure enough, they find Mackey's DNA on that part of the tape, too. I think the odds were the one in billions that it was anybody else's but him. Not exactly evidence that can be explained away. Just think of it as the prosecution's insurance policy. When we had Warren Mackey's DNA on both ends of the duct tape, we knew we had our killer, and we knew we had evidence that was overwhelming. And when I told his lawyer that, I can tell you that his lawyer went, oh, God. It's like whatever his client was telling him was completely destroyed by the second sample of DNA from the duct tape. Prosecutors want to throw the book at Mackey. After all, this seems like a classic case of premeditated first-degree murder. He had it all planned out. I believe he stole her keys. He brought the roll of duct tape with him and brought the keys with him. Keys Norma lost just days before her murder that magically reappeared the day her body was discovered. When her body was found, there were her keys plainly visible on the floor. So it stands to reason that Warren Mackey took her keys with the intent of being able to come in. But proving he intended on killing Norma is another story. Does that mean he took him with the intent of killing her? Not necessarily, um, but it's evidence. And the problem is, is that in order to convict him of first-degree murder, you can't just hypothesize this stuff. You've got to prove it. But even without concrete evidence of premeditation, the case against Mackey is still a strong one. So strong, Mackey does a surprising about-face right before trial. He makes a move no one saw coming. He changes his plea to guilty. It was a bit of a surprise when Mr. Mackey decided to plead guilty because almost all murder cases end up going to trial. Warren Mackey uh, decided that he wanted to plead guilty to second-degree murder. The district attorney's office allowed him to do that. The DA's office is confident that Mackey will receive a life sentence, even for the lesser offense. After all, the evidence against him is overwhelming. At sentencing, Mackey receives 15 years to life for second-degree murder. The only difference between first and second-degree murder is parole eligibility happens earlier, but that doesn't mean he'll ever get parole. Anytime you get a life sentence in California for a murder, it's unlikely you'll ever be paroled. So however you slice it, it's unlikely Mr. Mackey will ever get out of prison. And Norma's family is going to make sure of it. He's a coward. That's what he is. Her life, so precious, he took away. 
we're gonna make sure he's not gonna come out. He's not gonna come out. Nobody gets out of this earth until they pay the consequences. Based on the evidence, investigators believe they know what happened that weekend in 1993. A day after the barbecue, Warren once again shows up at Norma's, but this time in the middle of the night. In my opinion, he went there with the intent of either convincing her to be his girlfriend or he was going to kill her. Using the keys he swiped from Norma, Mackie lets himself in and heads straight to the living room. He knew the routine of my sister, you know. She used to come from work, uh, lay down in the couch, look at TV, and sometimes the kids were not there. Tony had him. I believe that he blitzed her on the couch, Just surprised her as she lay asleep. He didn't rape her. He didn't go there with that purpose. But he, he went there with, you're either going to be mine or you're going to be nobody's. Did he beat her? He strangled her? And then he duct taped her. Blinded by rage, Warren kills Norma, possibly right in front of her four-year-old son. He went under the bed, and he hid there. And I just thank God that Austin is alive. Norma's family is grateful her killer is off the streets. Another Port Wyneme mystery solved. One more to go. A year later, police make an arrest in the last of the 1993 homicides, when DNA tests link 28-year-old Ricardo Villa to the death of Beatrice Bellis. Once all three murders were finally solved, it was like the weight of the world lifting off your shoulders. It was an incredible feeling of accomplishment. And just like that, Port Wyneme shuts the door on one of the most bizarre crime sprees in its history. I'd never seen anything like it before and haven't seen anything like it since in this city or in the county for that matter. Investigators have seen enough heartache to last a lifetime. And Norma Rodriguez's death is particularly hard to handle. Norma Rodriguez would be one of the last people that you would ever think would meet their end this way. She's the kind of woman that you picture, you know, she's going to die in her 80s or 90s, you know, surrounded by her kids, not laying on the living room of, of her home. Most folks in this little gem of a town have put the past behind them. But for Norma's sister, Ophelia, life will never be the same. It's not the same anymore. It's not the same. My sister is still dead. He murdered all of us. He took a parent away from two boys that they needed her so much. 